Chapter thirty seven of Agincourt, a romance by George Payne Rainsford James. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The captivity. Oh, the long and tedious hours of imprisonment, how they weigh down the stoutest heart, how soul and mind seem fettered as well as body, and how the chain grows heavier every hour we wear it. Days and weeks passed, weeks and months flew away and strictly confined to one small chamber in the castle of montlery richard of woodville remained a prisoner the count of vaudemont courteous in words showed himself aught but courteous in deeds every tone had been knightly and generous while he stayed in the chateau but no results had followed he would never fix the ransom of his captive he would never hold out any prospect of liberty and ere long he departed for paris leaving woodville in the hands of the chatelain of the place who severely blamed for the escape of the young lord of croy revenged himself upon him by whose aid it had been accomplished to that one little room high up in the chateau was woodville restricted no exercise was permitted to him but the pacing up and down of its narrow limits no relaxation but to sing snatches of the old ballads of which he was so fond or to gaze from under the pointed arch of the window over the changing scene below. No one was permitted to see him but his own page, who had been captured with him, and one of the soldiers of the castle. No book existed within the walls, and materials for writing, purchased with difficulty in the town, were only granted him in order to write to the Lord of Vaudemont concerning his ransom. At first he remonstrated mildly, but when no other answer arrived, but that the Count would think of it, he took another tone, reproached him for his want of courtesy, and reminded him that though he had surrendered rescue or no rescue, the refusal of reasonable ransom justified him in making his escape whenever the opportunity might occur. The Count's reply consisted of but four words, Escape if you can, and from that hour the guard kept upon him became more strict than before. The weary hours dragged heavily on, summer succeeded to spring and autumn to summer without anything occurring to cheer the lonely vacancy of his captivity but on occasional rumour brought by the page or the soldier who acted as jailer either of the great events which were then agitating europe or of efforts made for his own liberation the reports however were all vague and uncertain he heard of war between france and burgundy but could with difficulty obtain any means of judging which party had gained the ascendancy. Then he heard of a new peace, as hollow as those which had preceded it, and with that intelligence came the tidings which the page gained from the soldiers of the garrison, that a large ransom had been offered for him. But whether by the Duke of Burgundy himself, or the Lord of Croy, he could not correctly ascertain. Next came a rumour of dissensions between France and England, and of a probable war but none of the particulars could be learnt except that the demands of henry v were in the opinion of the frenchman extravagant and that the greater part of the nation looked forward with delight to an opportunity of wiping away the disgrace of cressy and poitiers and blotting out forever the treaty of bretigny oh what would he have given for his liberty then all his aspirations for glory and renown all his hopes of winning praise and advancement all the dreams of young ambition all the bright imaginations of love rose up before him as memories of the dead those prison walls were their cold sepulchre that solitary chamber the tomb of all the energies within him 
He had well nigh become frantic with disappointment, but he struggled successfully with the despair of his own thoughts, as every man of a really powerful mind will do. No one can obtain full mastery of the minds of others without having full mastery of his own. He would not suffer his fancy to dwell upon sad things. He strove to create for himself objects of interest, and from the arched window he made himself acquainted as a friend with every object in the widespread scene beneath his eyes. Every church spire, every castle tower, every belt of wood, every stream and every road, every hamlet and every house, for miles around, were described and marked as if he had been mapping the country in his own mind. But it was only that he was seeking for objects of interest, and he found them, and variety too he found, for every hour and every season brought its change. The varying shadows as day rose or declined, the different hues of summer and of winter, of autumn and of spring, the changeful aspect of the April day, the frowning sublimity of the thunderstorm, the cold, stern, desolate gloom of the wintry air, all gave food to nourish fancy with, and from which he extracted thought and occupation. He had withal one grand support and consolation, the best after the voice of religion, a conscience clear of offence. He could look back upon the past and say, I have done well. There was no reproach within him for opportunities missed, advantages wasted, or ill deeds done, and often and often he thought of the first song that poor Ella Brune had sung him, and of that stanza in which she said, In hours of pain and grief, if such thou must endure, thy breast shall know relief in honour tried and pure. For the true heart and kind its recompense shall find, shall win praise and golden days, and live in many a tale. In the meanwhile his treatment varied greatly at different times. Sometimes the Châtelain was harsh and severe, refusing him almost everything that was necessary to his comfort. At others, with the caprice which is so common amongst rude and uncivilised people, he would seem joyous and good-humoured, would visit his prisoner, talk with him, and send him dishes from his own table, permitting many a little alleviation of his grief, which on former occasions he denied. In one of these happier moods he allowed the page to buy his master a sithen, which proved one of the prisoner's greatest comforts and resources. Not long after, in the summer of 1415, a still greater change of conduct took place towards him. His table became supplied with princely liberality, rich wines and dainty meats were daily set before him, and the page was suffered to go at large about the town to procure anything his master might require. One day the boy returned very much heated with exercise, and moved with what seemed pleasurable feelings, and looking round the room eagerly, he closed the door with care. "'You have tidings, Will,' said the young knight, "'and joyful tidings, too, or I am mistaken.' "'I have better than tidings,' replied the boy. "'I have a letter. Read it quick, and then hide it. I will go out into the passage and watch, lest Joachim come up.' He was lolling at the foot of the stairs." Richard of Woodville took the letter from the boy eagerly and read what was written in the outer cover. The words were few, and in a hand he did not know. "'Nothing has been left undone,' the writer said, "'to set you free. A baron's ransom has been offered for you and refused. The Duke of Burgundy required your liberation as one of the terms of peace, but could not obtain it. The Lord of Croy offered two prisoners of equal rank and a ransom besides, but did not succeed. But fear not, 
Friends are gathering round you. Be prepared to depart at a moment's notice, and you shall be set free, as others have been. The moment you are free, hasten to England, for you have been belied. Within this was a short letter from Mary Gray, full of tenderness and affection, with words and avowals which she might have scrupled to utter for any other purpose but the generous one of consoling and supporting him she loved in sorrow and adversity. Beneath her name were written a few words from her father, expressive of more kindness, confidence and regard than he had ever previously shown. But he too spoke of the young knight's return to England as absolutely necessary for his own defence, and he too alluded to the rumours against him, without stating what those rumours were. If there was much to cheer, there was much to distress and grieve, and Woodville paused for several minutes to think over the contents of these letters, and to consider what could be the nature of the calumnies referred to, believing that he had fully refuted the charge of having neglected to obey the king's command to return to England, before he set out on the expedition which had been attended by such an unfortunate result. At length the page looked in to see if he had done, and Woodville, bidding him shut the door, inquired from whom he had received the letters. "'It was from the young clerk, noble sir,' replied the boy, "'who was with Sir John Grey at Charleville. "'I saw a youth in a black gown wandering about the castle gates some days since, "'and as I stood alone upon the drawbridge about half an hour ago, "'he passed me again, and seeing that there was no one there, "'made me a sign to follow. "'I walked after him into the church, and then he gave me the letter for you, but bade me tell you to be upon your guard, for that there are enemies near, as well as friends. To make sure that you were not deceived, he said, you were to put trust in no one who did not give you the word, Mary Markham. Hark! cried Woodville, rising and going to the window. There are trumpets sounded. I heard the Lord of Vaudemont was expected today, replied the boy. And there he is, said Richard of Woodville, watching a body of horse coming up the hill. "'On my honour, if I have speech with him, "'he shall hear my full thoughts on his discourteous conduct. "'But now, hie thee away, Will. "'Seek out this young clerk in the town "'and ask if he can convey my answer back to the letters which he brought. "'I will find means to write if he can.' "'Oh, I can find him,' replied the boy, "'for he told me where he lodged, "'in the house of a widow-woman named Chatin. "'Away, then,' answered Woodville. "'Let them not find you here.' When he looked forth from the window again, the young knight could no longer perceive the body of horse he had seen advancing, but the noises which rose up from the court of the castle below, the clang of arms, the gay tones of voices laughing and talking, the word of command, and the shout of the warder, showed him that the party had already arrived. About an hour passed without his hearing more, but then came the sound of steps in the passage. The door opened, and three gentlemen entered of whom the first was the Count of Vaudemont. The next was a man several years younger, and the third a stout, ill-favoured personage of nearly fifty years of age. None of them were armed, except with a dagger, usually worn hanging from the waist, and all were dressed in the extravagant style of the French court in that day, with every merely ornamental part of dress exaggerated, till it became a monstrosity. Every colour, too, was the brightest that could be found, each contrasted with the other in the most vivid and inharmonious assortment, green and red, amber and blue, pink and yellow, so that each man looked like some gaudy eastern bird new feathered. The Lord of Vaudemont was evidently in a light and merry mood, or at least affected it, 
for he entered laughing and at once held out his hand to his prisoner as if a familiar friend richard of woodville however drew back saying your pardon my good lord i am a captive for whom ransom has been refused you forget nay i remember it well sir knight replied the count laughing again and that you intend to escape you have not succeeded yet i see however let me set myself right with you on that head tis not i who refuse your ransom tis my lord the duke of aquitaine who will not have you set free just yet so that i risk my angels if you have wit enough to find your way out his commands however are express and i must obey my lord the duke of orleans here present will witness for me as well as my lord of armagnac that i would far rather have your gold in my purse where it is much needed than your person in montlery where it could be well spared the young knight regarded the famous nobles of whom he had heard so much with no slight interest and the duke of orleans drawing a settle to the table leaned his head upon his arm in a thoughtful attitude saying it is quite true sir but perhaps that may be remedied ere long if you be willing to renounce the cause of burgundy and agree to serve no more against the crown of france the difficulty may be removed i have no purpose sir to ride for that good lord the duke any more answered richard of woodville i did but seek his court to win honour and renown but now i am called to england by many motives so that i may well promise not to serve with him again but if your proposal goes farther and you would have me give my knightly word not to fight for my sovereign against any power on earth where he may need my arm i must at once say no i am his vassal and will do my duty according to my oath whenever he shall call upon me he is my liege lord and there are some englishmen and not a few said the count of armagnac in a harsh and grating tone of voice who do not hold him to be such but rather a usurper edmund earl of march is your liege lord young knight he has never claimed that title noble sir answered richard of woodville and indeed has renounced it by swearing allegiance himself to his great cousin compulsion all compulsion said the duke of orleans we shall yet see him on the throne of england i trust not my lord the duke answered the english knight but if the plea of compulsion can in your eyes justify the breach of an oath how could you expect me to keep a promise made not to serve against this crown of france here in a prison but why say you that you trust not to see him on the throne asked the count of armagnac evading the part of woodville's reply which he would have found difficult to answer he is surely a noble and courteous gentleman full of high virtues far inferior in all to his royal cousin answered the knight but it is not on that account alone i say so but for many reasons we englishmen believe that our crown is held by somewhat different rights from yours of france at the coronations of our kings we by our free voices confirm them on their throne the people of england have a say in the question of a monarch's title and without that recognition they are not kings of england to our present sovereign the nobles of the land offered their homage ere the crown was placed upon his brow but he as wise in this as in all else would receive none till he was proclaimed king not by a herald's trumpet but by the tongues of englishmen besides i say i trust i shall never see the earl of march wearing the english crown because i hope never to see an honourable nobleman forget his oath nor a perjured monarch on the throne and yet your fourth harry forgot his said the duke of orleans 
"'Not till intolerable wrongs and base injustice drove him to it,' answered the knight. "'Not till the monarch so far forgot his compact with the subject "'as to free him from remembrance on his part of the obligation. "'Besides, I was then a boy. "'I found a sovereign reigning by the voice of the people. "'To him I pledged my first oath of fealty. "'I have since pledged it to his son, and I will keep it.' The two counts and the duke looked at each other with a significant glance, and after a moment's consideration, the count of Vaudemont changed the subject, saying, "'Well, good night. Such are your thoughts. We may judge differently. But say, how have you fared lately? I hear that our worthy Chatelain here had been somewhat harsh with you, resolving that you should not play him such a trick as the boy of Croy. And I ordered that such treatment should be amended. Has it been done? I would not have you used unworthily.' "'It has been done in some points, my lord,' replied Richard of Woodville, "'but not in all.' "'Nay, good faith, with warning from your own lips that you sought to escape,' answered the Count. "'He was right not to relax on all points.' "'But some he might have relaxed, yet held me safe,' rejoined the young knight. "'I have been cut off from all means of holding any communion with my friends, "'though it was most needful that I should urge them to offer what terms might find favour for my liberation.' I have been kept more like some felon subject of this land than a fair prisoner of war. Nay, that must be changed, said the Duke of Orleans. Such was not your intention, I am sure, de Vaudemont. By no means, noble Duke, answered the Count. I will take order that it be so no more. You shall have liberty to write to whom you will, Sir Knight, and indeed having a courier going soon to England, you will have the means right soon, if you will, of sending letters. I have heard, he added with a laugh, that there is a certain noble gentleman of the name of Grey, with whom you have some dear relations, much in King Henry's confidence, if I mistake not. Perchance, were he to use his influence with that prince, something might be done to mitigate the Dauphin's sternness. We are still negotiating with England, though, by my faith, these preparations at Southampton, and this purchase of vessels from the Hollanders looks more warlike than one might have wished." If my liberation, noble Count, depends on Sir John Grey's using his influence for aught but his sovereign's interests, replied Richard of Woodville, I fear I shall be long a captive. However, to him will be perchance my only letter, for he can communicate with other friends. Do as you will, noble lords, cried the Count of Armagnac, who had been sitting silent for some time, gnawing his nail in gloomy meditation. But were I you... I would suffer no such letters to pass. They will but tend to counteract all that you desire. Here you have in your hands one of the hearty enemies of France. That is clear from every word. One who, at all risks, would urge his sovereign to deeds of hostility against us, when we are already wrung by internal discord. Why should you suffer him to pour such poison into the hearts of his countrymen? Nay, nay, replied the Count of Vaudemont. My word is given, and I cannot retract it. We are less harsh than you, my lord, and doubt not that this noble knight will say nothing against the cause of those who will grant him this permission. On no such subjects will I treat, sirs, answered Richard of Woodville. The matter of my letter will be simple enough, my own liberation being all the object. You must be quick, however, said the lord of Vaudemont, for at morning song tomorrow the messenger departs. The young knight replied that his letters would be ready in an hour, and the three noblemen withdrew for a moment, but he could hear that they continued speaking together in the passage, and the next instant the Duke of Orléans and the Count of Armagnac returned. 
"'We cannot suffer long letters tonight,' said the latter as soon as he entered. "'If all you wish is to treat for your ransom "'and to induce your friends to exert themselves for your liberation, "'you can send messages by word of mouth "'which we can hear and judge of.' "'But how will my friends know that such messages really come from me?' "'demanded Woodville with deep mortification. "'Why,' replied the Count, after a moment's thought, "'you may send a few words in the French tongue in our presence, "'for which we have heard of inks and inventions "'which escape the eye of all but the persons for whom they are intended. "'You may send a few words, I say, "'merely telling the gentleman to whom you write "'to give credit to what the bearer shall speak.' "'Woodville paused and meditated, "'but then, having formed his resolution, he replied, "'Well, my good lord, if better may not be, so will I do. "'Send me the messenger when you will, "'and I will give him the credentials required.' "'Call him now, my fair lord of Armagnac,' "'said the Duke of Orléans, with a significant look. "'He is below.' "'The Count soon reappeared with a stout, plain-looking man, "'habited as a soldier, "'and Woodville, after inquiring if he had ever been in England before, "'and finding that such was not the case, "'gave him directions for seeking out Sir John Grey in Winchester,' from which town the letters that had been conveyed to him were dated. He then gave him messages to Mary's father, and pointing out that it would be better to lose any amount of money rather than remain longer in prison, he besought the knight to borrow a sum for him to the value of one half of his estates, and offer it to the Lord of Voldemort as his ransom, adding somewhat bitterly, "'Tell the good knight that I find in France the fine old spirit of chivalry is at an end.' which led each noble gentleman to fix at once a reasonable ransom for an honourable prisoner, and that nothing but an excessive sum will gain a captive's liberty. The Duke of Orléans frowned, but made no observation in reply, merely speaking a few words in a low tone to the Count of Armagnac, who went to the door and called aloud for a strip of parchment and some ink. What he required was soon brought, and he laid before the young knight a narrow slip, not large enough to contain more than a sentence or two, saying, "'There, fair sir, you can write in the usual form as follows.' Richard of Woodville took the pen and addressed the letter at the top to Sir John Grey, the Duke of Orléans coming round and looking over his shoulder, while the Count of Armagnac stood on the opposite side of the table and dictated what he was to write. "'You can say,' he proceeded, "'these are to beg of you, by your love and regard for me, to hear and believe what the bearer will tell you on my part, and then put your name.' Richard of Woodville wrote as he directed, word for word, till he came to the conclusion, but then he added rapidly, "'Touching my ransom,' and affixed his signature so close that nothing could be interpolated. "'What have you written more?' cried the Count, whose eye was fixed upon his hand. "'Touching my ransom,' said the Duke of Orléans, gazing across. The Count snatched up the parchment and read it with a frowning brow, as if angry that his dictation had not been exactly followed, and then, beckoning to the Duke of Orléans and the messenger, he hurried abruptly out of the room. The door was not yet shut by the inferior person who went out last, when the young prisoner heard the Count of Armagnac say to the Duke in a low, growling tone, "'This will not do!' "'Let me see,' said the voice of the Lord of Audemont, who had apparently been waiting behind the door." A blasphemous oath followed, and Richard of Woodville heard no more, but a smile crossed his countenance, for they had evidently sought to use him for some secret purpose of their own, and had been frustrated. End of chapter 37